The Nigerian government has approved an economic sustainability plan, which is meant to stimulate the economy into full recovery post-COVID-19 and empower unemployed Nigerians, especially those who have lost their jobs due to the pandemic. This is not the first time this government is introducing an economic recovery and growth plan. In 2016, after Nigeria suffered a recession, the government launched a recovery plan in March 2017 with a string of bold promises to turn the economic downturn around. But data from Nigeria's Statistics Bureau showed that the plan went off course and did not fully deliver what it promised. This new plan is worth 2.3 trillion naira and will be funded according to the government as follows. 500 billion naira provided in the amended 2020 Appropriation Act will be funded from special accounts. 1.2 trillion naira to be sourced as structured low-cost loans, which are interventions from the Central Bank of Nigeria. And the other tranche will be from external and bilateral sources. The federal government says 10 million jobs will be generated in sectors like agriculture, housing, real estate, digital outsourcing, and the power sectors. Although this new plan for economic recovery looks good and brilliant on paper, critics say it's an ambiguous plan and could fail. Hello and welcome to NOW, our general news podcast, which examines the significant stories in and about Nigeria. I am Julia Tobata. Senior Special Advisor to the President on Public Works, Ajuri Ngelale, assures Nigerians that the 2020 Economic Stimulus Plan will deliver fully. It's a new day. Uh, we have the support of the National Assembly in a way that we did not have it before. And as a result, our programs are going to be funded. So, so Nigerians have a lot of good uh, coming their way and they should have high expectations and they should expect that government will fulfill and live up uh, to those expectations. Lawyer and public policy analyst Liberos Oshoma has recommendations for the government on how to successfully implement the economic recovery plan. What I want to see really from government is a program where, while the government is part of the implementation committee, let there be a body that is responsible for the procurement processes, for the bidding processes, so that at every turn, these processes are transparent. It is not done by either government or the agency, but by an independent body collectively agreed by all parties. Nollywood film actor and producer Kemi Lala Akindoju tells us how to maintain the momentum in the fight against sexual and gender-based violence. The first step, I think, is to not be silent and to make people who are not silent to be comfortable in their outspokenness. Don't make people feel guilty for sharing. Don't make survivors feel um, attacked for speaking their truth. One of the campaign promises of the All Progressives Congress in 2014, leading up to the presidential elections in 2015, was the provision of about 3 million jobs in Nigeria. But there is no clear data to show if those jobs were indeed provided. Data from the National Bureau of Statistics in 2019 showed that the unemployment rate in Nigeria hit 23.1% and is projected to reach 33.5% by 2020 if nothing is done to change the trend. 
In light of past promises by the APC-led federal government, which have failed to materialize, why should Nigerians believe that this new economic plan is not just hot air? This is the question that Kaderia Ahmed asked Senior Special Advisor to the President on Public Affairs, Ajiri Ngalali. You know, when people uh, look at the ERGP and they say, well, you failed to achieve this target, you failed to achieve that target, you failed to achieve this target, uh, what they uh, overlook, which should not be overlooked, uh, is context. In, uh, the ERGP ran from 2017, uh, predominantly to 2018, 2019, into 2020, but mostly between 2017 and 2019 in terms of budget cycles. Now, you had a situation, all of us were in this country, uh, when the 8th National Assembly and, the, uh, and of course, the, the executive administration uh, were having some challenges. Obviously, we know that there were some political differences uh, between the principal officers of the 8th National Assembly, and we saw what happened in terms of the delay in budgets, budgets being signed into law uh, in July instead of January, right, throwing the calendar off. You had a situation where uh, uh, appointments to very critical agencies that will be executing many of the programs we're talking about uh, were being delayed because of political reasons. You had a situation where we had budget planning, where you had uh, legislators trying to put in trillions of naira worth of uh, hundreds of billions of naira worth of padded budget, and they're cutting funding out of very critical projects like Legacy Bottom Expressway and all of these other projects that would have enabled us to create the kind of jobs and stimulate the economy to the extent we wanted to, we were not able to simply because of political differences and the calculation of some politicians that if they are able to defund several of the president's initiatives between 2017 and 2019, that they could do a better job uh, in terms of uh, taking advantage in the 2019 election, because then they can now say the president hasn't achieved much and all of that. So all of that factors in when you talk about ERGP implementation and targets not being met. There were serious politics involved in terms of the administration uh, and implementation of the projects that the president had set forth. We have also seen that under the Ninth National Assembly since 2019, the, what has happened, our budget has returned to the January to December cycle for the first time over a decade. We're seeing uh, legislation being turned out that has uh, fundamentally restructured the economy from the finance bill to the deep offshore amendment bill to several other acts that have been put in place. So look, it's a new day. Uh, we have the support of the National Assembly in a way that we did not have it before. And as a result, our programs are going to be funded. So Nigerians have a lot of good uh, coming their way, and they should have high expectations, and they should expect that government will fulfill and live up uh, to those expectations. Okay, so I'm happy you used the word no excuses, because um, what it sounded to me is like was APC had moved from blaming the go Jonathan government for its failures and what it inherited to blaming the former National Assembly. So I'm happy to hear you say no excuses. So break it down for me in a bit more detail how you intend to create 10 million jobs within a year. So first of all, I've discussed agriculture a little bit. The land clearing cultivation scheme is a major one, right? Uh, then you have in the, in the housing sector, uh, about, you're going to have about uh, 5 million uh, people engaged in the process of building uh, about 310,000 homes across all 74 local government areas in this country, 400 houses per local government, so there's going to be spread. Uh, that's number one. And it's fully funded. So what we've done in the past is, you, you know, the, the issue has always been about how our people are going to be able to afford these houses because nobody can just come up with millions of naira at the at, at time like that. And that's the challenge that we've had. So what we've done is we've set up a warehousing agent that essentially is going to oversee 
ensure that there's standard equalization. So if the same house that you're constructing in Port Harcourt is going to be the same house using the same raw materials, the same glass, the same door handles, uh, same everything. There's going to be standard equalization and all of that. That's on the land. So you have jobs from agriculture, you have jobs from housing. Then another area I mentioned is the area of digital outsourcing. We know that uh, you know a major part of the problem we've had in terms of people uh, being uh, citizens being able to access government is that if you go to a government website and you call the number on that website, you find that it's a 1998 number, a NITEL number. It doesn't even go through. So what we've been doing is trying to update all of that. And we've said a major area where we can create sustainable employment for our young people is by creating technology parks, which is in this plan, which you're going to see over the next 12 months. Uh, it's going to create 1 million jobs for 1 million young people. Now, if we consider the fact that the north, which is sort of the center of agricultural production in Nigeria, is facing massive insecurity, with farmers saying they've actually missed the start of a planting season, um, with people running away from their farms because of attacks by bandits and all sorts of other people, um, it seems a little bit of a pipe dream for this plan which to work, which is hinged on creating 10 million jobs in agriculture. There's no doubt that there's a, a nexus, of course, between uh, security and uh, food security and, of course, agricultural production and obviously the impact on the economy. Uh, so I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, the, the, the issue is this. Uh, we saw in 2018 when you really, really, really had uh, the worst of the clashes between uh, killer herdsmen and farmers, particularly across the middle belt then, I believe it was 2018. Uh, you know, we saw the ramifications in terms of uh, the contribution of agriculture to the GDP subsequently. So we know it's a, it's, it's a very real, real problem. What we have also found uh, is obviously with Operation World Stroke, we have all seen the massive reduction uh, in violent confrontations that have occurred within the North, the, the North, in North Central, where the, the real food basket was. When you look at it, is when you talk about Benway, talk about Plateau, uh, Nasarawa. Now the, 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 the real uh, area of confrontation we're dealing with right now is predominantly in the Northwest when we talk about the bandits and we talk about uh, the killer herdsmen and all of that. Uh, for us, there's no secret sauce. Uh, we have to uh, engage this issue regionally. But even if Nigeria has gotten it 100% right, and our neighbors are still uh, allowing these various groups to have safe haven, to gather, to collect themselves, to launch attacks and all of that, then we're going to have a problem. So all of our, that's why the president, as uh, when he was chairing ECOWAS, put together a $1 billion security fund that all ECOWAS nations will contribute to. But not only that, also in agreement that they will coordinate their forces, their armies, their navies, their, their, their air forces, uh, to coordinate strategy to, uh, to tackle the, all of these multiple threats uh, in, in, in a coordinated and synergized fashion, because that's the only way you're going to be able to get them, is to encircle them from the perimeter and to be able to close in on them in the middle. And unfortunately, that has not happened. Uh, you know, we're, we are not at the end of that process. And so it's still something that we're dealing with. And of course, we all want to get to the point where it's not a threat and where our farmers can produce in peace and all of that. But we have to do two things. Deal with the security issue at two. Make sure that we don't just have agricultural production centered in one part of the country. Uh, for example, we need all of our industries, all of our sectors working all across the country, which is why the Nigerian Economic Sustainability Plan ensures that we have tens of thousands of hectares in every single state now actively cleared and cultivated uh, for the development and production of various agricultural items so that uh, such uh, security threats in one part of the country does not uh, necessarily damage uh, what, what the economic productivity uh, index is in 
all parts of the country as we're dealing with the security threat. One of the problems we've seen with plans that have been made at the center um, that don't succeed is that there seems to be one a point of failure and so you, you you plan at the federal level you don't involve state governments you don't involve local governments and so when it fails it fails spectacularly is this um, plan slightly different from what we've seen before as in is not being controlled at the set or is is not wholly based on what happens at the center or is it exactly what we've seen in the past yeah, thank you so much for that uh, very uh, intellectual question, Kaderia, because, you know, historically, uh, that is what we've had. Federal interventions across sectors have always said, ah, we have a very brilliant idea and a presidential bill, and magically it's going to impact the wards. And that's not what happens. So you end up seeing failed implementation as a result of that. This administration has learned from the past, uh, past government's mistakes. Uh, and so what the, the, the vice president has done, he's in the, not just chairing the, the Economic Sustainability Committee, but also as chairman of the National Economic Council. He's constantly interfacing with all 36 governors across the federation, across party lines. So what he did as part of the composition of this plan is he actively brought the state government and said, look, this is what we have in mind for this sector, this sector, this sector. How can we work with you hand in glove to ensure that as we have envisaged this plan, that on the grassroots you have that glove that we're going to put our hand into, that there's going to be synergy, and that you have the people on ground to actually execute in, in conjunction with us. So because they have been carried along, we have no fear at all about uh, about uh, about the actual implementation of the plan as a, as as against how it was proposed. I had the privilege of sitting in the uh, meetings where this plan was uh, being developed, and I was there when the vice president would be asking all the various ministers and all the various uh, key members of the committee what the what are the potential pitfalls, and then they will go nitty gritty into each of the potential obstacles that uh, that could lay ahead. Uh, it could be regulatory, it could be issue of land use, it could be anything, and he will make sure that there is a solution to every single one of those nitty-gritty obstacles that they had found uh, before they will now publish the plan. So everything has been in this age. All stakeholders have been carried along at all levels. Uh, this plan is also going to ensure that as long as you're a Nigerian citizen, irrespective of your political affiliations, you too will benefit at every level, from ward uh, to local government uh, to state uh, to, to the federal. So th this is the outlook of the plan, and we're very optimistic about how it will be implemented. Corruption and lack of proper implementation of strategies and plans have been identified as one of the banes of the Nigerian economy. These have continued to eat deep into the fabric of the nation, so much that most laudable projects and plans by all tiers of government usually fall off wayside as a result of corruption and faulty implementation. Critics fear the Nigeria Economic Stimulus Plan may go the way of others. I spoke with constitutional lawyer, rights advocate, and public policy analyst Liberos Oshoma and asked what his concerns are about the new federal government plan. Let me take time to highlight um, some areas for you. So why I said um, if properly implemented for quite some time now, we have been battling with um, corruption in the country. Even starting from the palliatives that the Federal Ministry of Human Resources shares, but till date, its implementation is shrouded in misery and secrecy. And um, a lot of people have complained that it didn't get anything. 
if you look at this plan, the plan is based on the three main pillars. And, you know, typical of us, talking about agriculture, we're talking about installation of solar, you know, home system, and, you know, all of that, promotion of domestic gas utilization, digital technology. So all of these, they are not tomatoes that you plant and then just go pluck. These are, take the techno, digital technology aspect, for example, ICT jobs to pay special attention to the promotion of technology or call centers of business processes. All of these are mainly driven by private sector in Nigeria. Government has never been too involved in this. And so now if you're partnering the private sector, and we know also what drive private sector here is profit-oriented. You know, there are no controls. You took also talk about domestic gas production to take advantage of our uh, abundant gas resources, which, you know, is cheaper and friendly to the environment. But you ask yourself, in all honesty, how much, what has the government intervention in terms of making gas available, even production of gas cylinders? These are areas uh, that, you know, government has always, you know, you want to partner. But what has been our implementation on ground? You know, so that you say the next one year, this is the process we want to drive. And so you already know that you have the infrastructure on ground to drive this process. Yeah, yeah, if, 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 if I may come in. So my colleague took um, the government representative who she interviewed, took him up on implementation because it's yeah. usually been the problem of Nigeria. We've had failed yeah. projects in the past. But he has assured yeah. us that, that the VP will be interfacing with 36 states governors to ensure that there is synergy so that there won't be um, an issue of whether it is, um, you know, it is not implemented well because they said, as it tells us, there is a well thought out plan and that they're going to go through with the plan. Are you going to give the government a chance to actually prove themselves this time? That's why I told you the essence of discussing this is to assure the areas where we see government had always had challenges. Thank God they always know. They also know that implementation had been very key. As far back as 1979, if you remember the then government of NPN, one of their main plank of campaign was the housing for all. And siting of the housing estate became a big problem, even though it was in collaboration with governors. You also find a situation where, you know, because of interparty, you know, and intraparty, implementation of those programs were difficult. The same thing we have seen it happen, you know, in government now, where the state is a state governed by the opposition. You have a loggerhead with the, the governor, the sitting governor, and those implementing policies. Now, let's drive it home to this program. Even when we talk of corruption and implementation of policies, the governors also are not exempted. As I speak to you now, you saw the battle between the National Assembly and um, the Minister for State for Labor on implementation of jobs for vulnerable Nigerians. It became a ping-pong thing. Agreed, the National Assembly members represent constituencies. And the question would be, what did you attract to your constituency in terms of employment throughout your stay in Abuja? And you find out that we use jobs like this and the stimulus package as opportunity to settle cronies and enhance our personal gain. That's where we miss it in terms of implementation. And so it is not enough to tell me that, oh, the governors will be part of this implementation. What I want to see, really, from government is the fact is 
a program where the while the government is part of the implementation committee, let there be a a body that is responsible for the procurement processes, for the bidding processes, so that at every turn these processes are transparent. It is not done by either government or the agency, but by an independent body collectively agreed by all parties. So at the end, if Juliet is qualified for it, there is no need for Juliet to know a commissioner or there is no need for Juliet to know somebody who knows the governor so that her name will be included in, in the process. Juliet ordinarily should be qualified because she's qualified, she went through the process. And then you talk about online platforms. When the registration is run through that process, you have consultants who have been doing all of these jobs for even private sectors. You really don't need to know anybody. Go through the process, and if you qualify, automatically you are selected. So, but to tell me that governors are in the, the, the governors will be part of the implementation, it is even more makes it more questionable. You agree that is a good plan and it's a winning plan, don't you? But you are bothered about the implementation. Yes, the action plan. I'm not trying to play the devil's advocate right now, but you know, from the conversation, you can. You can. from the conversation that we've had with a, the government representative who broke this down to us, he said the plan is going to cut across, you know, party and religious lines, so everyone is going to benefit from it. On paper. What do you think about this <laughs> sustainability plan? If properly implemented and everything goes okay. If you listen to Andrew, government spokesperson. Exactly, that's the same person we spoke with. When you listen to him, you would think he's talking about America. You would think you are not in Nigeria. He explains plans beautifully well. But when it comes to implementation, that's where the gap is. Look, even as a lawyer, do you know that our problem is not lack of laws, but the lack of the willpower to implement? You have a situation where nepotism is part of our government. Corruption is embedded in us. And so that is why I am not only condemning the action that he has explained to you, I am telling you that that implementation cannot achieve what the program is meant to achieve. The only way that implementation can achieve it is if it is driven by their online platforms managed by consultants who are distinct and different from government. Once you do that, government, you brought out this beautiful this, uh, intervention package. What you do, government, be a regulator of the package. You cannot. Do you know when you concentrate too much power in one hand, there's tendency for abuse. When you give a man a yam and a knife, the tendency to slice some portion for himself is very, 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 very probable. And so if a government brings out a beautiful action stimulus plan like this, the same government cannot be the one to drive it. Otherwise, knowing the society we live in, they will be subject to abuse. A situation where you'll be promoting transparency. But where you come to tell me that, yeah, the governors are involved, and, and so you will ensure that every state, irrespective of party, every state benefits. On paper, that is beautiful. On paper, that is laudable. But we need a situation where every plan of government, let us begin to do it the other way. We have been doing it this same way. Government will bring out money for programs. At the end of the year, they will share this money to cronies, associates, and political uh, parties. Let me also tell you, draw your mind back, back, back a little bit. When 
INEC, during registration or ad hoc jobs, and INEC decide to recruit people for jobs, for ad hoc jobs, do you know that the governors, the commissioners, and the House of Assembly members will hijack those jobs and share to party members and cronies? And that is how involved our governors are in programs like this. Look at how we share palliative. We said the, 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 the poor of the poor. And the poor of the poor defined by as those that do not have 5,000 naira in their account. At the end of the day, we still didn't use account numbers to share that money. We gave them out in cash. How do you now determine that the people you are giving cash to do not have 5,000 naira in their account? What were the parameters for determining this? So against this backdrop, against this reality, that is why I'm telling you, government cannot implement this program without a proper driving platform. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I also hear that, you know, you've provided, like, um, what you think could be the proper way to enable government drive this project. Okay, let's look at another angle. Let's look at the money that is budgeted for this um, plan. 2.3 trillion naira. What do you think? I like the fact that, um, you know, you spend, you, in, during recession, you spend your way through recession. But we should also be careful so as not to, in spending, so as not to cause inflation, where more money will be chasing fewer, fewer goods. I like the fact that, yes, some of these funds will also stimulate the agricultural sector and the rest. But we should also understand that agriculture without value added is poverty. Agriculture without off-taker, you know, most especially when you don't have storage for such produce, um, at the end of the day, you end up, you know, at a loss because you have to sell at a giveaway price because there are no storage. I also would have expected that the first thing we do is also to create optics, like the vice president did say during their campaign, that they are going to create marketing boards. So if you are producing, for example, you have stimulated the agricultural sector to produce, you should have boards that, you know, would be able to help negotiate prices and take off this produce and in turn, not necessarily compulsorily take off, but let there be opportunity for market. That said, the money you are budgeting, no matter how much it is, there will be value added to that fund. So you are not just going to share money to people like we did, like the CBN stimulus package that we shared to people for rice production who went to marry new wives. Until date, they have not been able to pay back. And so the fund, 2.1 trillion or so, is fantastic, it's good. If properly utilized, it will stimulate the economy and regenerate funds. But if not properly utilized, because I've already faltered implementation, at the end of the day, it might create inflation where you will have money in people's pockets and there are no goods to purchase. And so you have cash chasing your goods. And that's what automatically we all know will increase the demand and so supply will be low. And once demand and high supply is low, we all know in um, you know, basic economics that it creates you know, inflation. So we should also be careful. Kemila Laakindoju is a film and stage actor and also a producer. She has over 70 films and stage credits to her name. She tells Tommy Olugbemi the inspiration behind the It Starts With Me campaign. Um, I think in the midst of everything that was happening, 
Um, it was more than evident that we needed to do more than just complain and wait for the change that we desire to come through. And um, it was initiated by Mr. Tony Um he, he put a lot of us together um, and invited us and said that, look, you know, we, the group consisted of people that at least had shown signs of being um, transformational leaders or people who at least are passionate about change or people who are not comfortable with the status quo. So um, we put ourselves together and, you know, came up with many ideas. There were many teachers and, you know, they start with me seeing resonated the most, which actually um, is a plan for everybody to shine the light on themselves and start with themselves first for the Nigeria, get to the Nigeria that we desire. As you know, we are living in a time where, in Nigeria anyways, there's more awareness about um, sexual and gender-based violence and yeah. um, we, are, we are very much more aware of it than ever before. Um, how do you think we can keep it going? How do you think we can... The first step, I think, is to not be silent and to make people who are not silent to be comfortable in their outspokenness. Don't make people feel guilty for sharing. Don't make survivors feel attacked for speaking their truth. Um, of course, there's the mighty um, judicial system and the laws. Now, I know that sometimes it sounds like these things are really beyond us. You know, how much can you prove? Well, how is the Nigerian judicial system set up? to really, really investigate these things, what does the Nigerian police force know and all of that. But I think that speaking up will help. Because, for example, the Nigerian police force needs a lot of reorientation and education. These are people that are supposed to protect people. As it is, in some states, some states are better than others, and I must commend those states. Lagos State, for example, is very sweet on cases of, you know, gender-based violence. Ekiti State, for example, as well, you know, but it's not all over the country yet where the Nigerian police force fully understands that, you know, they are meant to protect, they are meant to empathize, and that needs to change. There, there, there are things that we can pressure for, like the Violence Against Persons Act, and that has not been um, passed in all states. It's a federal law, but it has not been, like, signed in all states yet, and we need, more, we need it to be signed everywhere. So let's let's talk about COVID and Nollywood. Um, I understand that um, as we try to return to some sort of normalcy, as we're trying to um, reopen the economy and whatnot, um, some films and TV series are gradually returning to production with the skeleton um, crew. Um, do you have any plans to return to set anytime soon? Um, I mean, I'm working on something right now, and the plan is film at the end of September or October. I mean, it's scheduled for that time also to wait and see because right now the numbers are still rising. Um, but even at that, we have to take safety precautions. I think that as much as we are all itching to go back to work, we have to do the right thing. You know, so everybody must get tested before they start working. We have to run close steps. You know, people can't be going home and coming back. You know, we have to test everybody. I mean, this thing will affect budgets. But I think it's a, it's a small price to pay for health and safety. So that, that's all right now, that's already incorporated. What's the cost of testing everybody, cast and crew, that will work? Because while crew members can even practice social distancing and wear masks, actors in front of the camera can't really social distance. Um, so let's talk about your short film um, released last year, Fine, about uh, mental health in Nigeria. Um, at the time the film was made, it was estimated that at least six million people had 
reported to have been um, depressed. And I can imagine that the numbers are probably more than that because we have a um, very huge information gap in Nigeria. And as I can also imagine that COVID has compounded that number. Um, how do you think? Exactly. How do you think, as a country, um, we could better serve people with with mental health problems? How, what do you think we could do better? And um, is there a role the creative industry could play? Honestly, it's part of the reasons I made that film because um, I wanted to talk about how being depressed is not doesn't show on people's heads, and you can be you can look perfectly normal. And by that I mean. You've not lost anybody. Like nothing bad is happening to you on the outside, but you are very depressed on the inside. Because the first challenge with mental health and depression, people say, oh, this person looks okay. Uh -uh, you can't be depressed now. So I think that one of the things we need to do is to let people know that, you know, first of all, depression is actually a medical condition. It's not a spiritual curse. It's a medical condition. It can be treated. It should be treated. People need to speak to professionals if they're feeling depressed. Um, people also need to fight to protect their mental health. Also in this time, you know, even in speaking with my colleagues, I've been very particular about just helping people realize that you, you have to protect your mental health. The optics are not looking good. The whole world has been affected by this pandemic. But we have to stay alive so that when we need to resume, you know, we can resume. And that's it on this episode of Now. I am Juliet Obata.